Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. In 1946, one of the most significant and groundbreaking archaeological discoveries of the 20th century was made near the Dead Sea. Documents and ancient texts were found in caves in this region. These came to be given the name the Dead Sea Scrolls, an amazing collection including some of the earliest examples of biblical scriptures we have, as well as other texts not included in the biblical canon that shed light on religion in Judea around the turn of the Common Era. The authors, or at least owners of these texts, who lived in a nearby community in Qumran, are often identified as the so-called Essenes, a mysterious Jewish sect that is mentioned in several ancient sources. But who were these Essenes, and what are their connection, if any, to the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Qumran community? Ancient Judaism looked quite different from the religion as we know it today. Rabbinic Judaism only started to form essentially after the destruction of the Second Temple in the year 70 AD, and before this there existed many different groups of Jews who approached and understood the religion in various different ways. This is true today too, of course, but the differences back then between these groups are arguably even more fundamental. 
Around the turn of the Common Era and in the few centuries before, most of Judaism was centered in the lands of Judea and Israel, and in particular around the city of Jerusalem, where the Great Temple stood. For this reason, we find reference to different groups of Jews in the New Testament and Gospel accounts. There are, of course, the Pharisees, who show up to challenge Jesus in the Gospels, as well as the Sadducees, who were the priestly and upper class associated with the maintenance of the Temple. But in ancient accounts, we also find references to other groups. The famous first century Jewish writer and historian Flavius Josephus wrote a work called The Jewish War, in which he describes three main sects of Judaism at the time. Quote, Indeed, there exist among the Jews three schools of philosophy. The Pharisees belong to the first, the Sadducees to the second, and to the third belong men who have a reputation for cultivating a particularly saintly life, called Essenes. So who are these Essenes? They appear to have been a significant community in antiquity, but essentially died out around the time that Josephus was writing. Well, this group in fact remains rather mysterious even to this day, and we don't have a lot of material to work with. Or do we? We'll return to the question of Qumran later, which might be a decisive factor here, but in terms of information about the Essenes, their beliefs and practices, we are limited to a few historical sources. In particular, there are three ancient writers that mention or describe this Essene community. The already mentioned Josephus, there is Philo of Alexandria, the great Platonist Jewish philosopher of the first century, and Pliny the Elder, a famous Roman natural philosopher. So what do these accounts have to say about the Essenes? Well, the Essenes appear to have been a strongly, you could say, ascetic community. They seem to have been spread out across Judea, but lived primarily in villages and smaller communities, avoiding cities probably to remain pure and untainted by the worldliness and faulty practices of city dwellers. Philo suggests that at the time that he wrote his Every Good Man is Free, there were around 4,000 Essenes living in this region. The Essenes are described as a community that took the Jewish law very seriously, like unusually seriously. They lived a very strict life centered on worship and ritual purity. When you became part of the community, you gave up all your possessions and all goods were basically the property of the community as a whole. There was a hierarchy with managers on top and new initiates at the bottom. To become part of the community, you had to go through a long process of several years of study before earning your place. Some Essenes seem to have lived in closed-off communities, such as perhaps in Qumran, where, as we saw, all property belonged to the group as a whole. The regular day was spent in prayer and study of the Hebrew scriptures, as well as strictly regulated daily communal meals. There was also a huge emphasis on ritual purity, where the members would regularly purify themselves in water, so bathing essentially. When not praying, they would work, primarily with agriculture, except of course on the Sabbath, which was observed with extreme strictness. No work was permitted, and this included things like lighting a fire or just carrying an object. It seems that these scenes were primarily a male community and that they might have lived in celibacy, um, shunning all forms of romantic relationships to instead focus on strictly following the Jewish law. However, Josephus reports that some Essenes did allow marriage, and that sex was allowed within the context of that marriage, but absolutely forbidden outside of that particular context. So sex was only meant to create new children, for procreation, but was forbidden for any other circumstance. 
As for their beliefs, they were Jews, obviously, so they followed the Torah and the Hebrew Bible in general, as well as possibly some extra-biblical material, if there is indeed a connection with the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Essenes appear to have been influenced by, or been a part of, what is known as Jewish apocalypticism, a theological movement popular at around this time, which introduced some new and unique features to the religion. For example, this can be seen in the fact that the Essenes believed that the human soul was eternal and immortal, that it had become trapped or attached to the human body, but would survive after its demise. Furthermore, they believed that the afterlife was a spiritual one and not physical, that the soul was subject to a judgment by God after death, and that those who were good in this life would be rewarded with a pleasant spiritual afterlife, while those who were wicked would be punished and face terrible retribution after death. These ideas, which had become common in Jewish thought in late antiquity, would of course come to serve as central aspects of Christianity and Islam too. If these ancient literary sources can be trusted, then we seem to know quite a bit about the Essenes and their general characteristics. But do we have anything from the Essenes themselves in terms of writings? Well, this is where we get back to that original question, which is, what is, if any, the connection between the Essenes and the so-called Dead Sea Scrolls? The Dead Sea Scrolls were an amazing archaeological find back in the mid-20th century. There are many legendary stories surrounding their discovery, but the common narrative is that two Bedouin shepherds stumbled upon a cave near Qumran in which they found several scrolls stored in jars. This discovery, which took place between 1946 to 1947, would pass through many hands as it gradually became clear that this was a rather significant find. In the following years and decades, more and more caves were found in this area which contained similar scrolls. This is an incredibly fascinating thing, and it's still ongoing. As recently as last year, in 2021, there were more fragments discovered in similar conditions in the region. So this is a region that has contributed with some really significant archaeological materials since the initial discovery. So what are these Dead Sea Scrolls? What is in them? The scrolls, which many scholars today prefer to call the Qumran Scrolls, contain fragments from many different kinds of texts. Some of these fragments are fold scrolls containing entire books from the Bible, while others are tiny fragments of parchment of only a few words or so. The majority of these texts are biblical, copies of the books of the Hebrew Bible and commentaries or other texts related to the books of the Hebrew Bible. In fact, about a quarter of the scrolls are simply, well, books from the Hebrew Bible. But this is still very significant, because this makes them some of the earliest copies of the Bible. Before the discovery of the scrolls, the oldest manuscripts of the Bible we had were basically from the 9th to 10th century. Here, instead, we now have examples of those same texts, but from way earlier, from the turn of the Common Era and maybe even from the first few centuries BC. It's also significant, of course, that these scrolls include slightly altered versions of these biblical texts. Before the so-called Masoretic text became standardized around 100 AD, there were different variations of the biblical text that circulated. It was always a fluid collection of texts, and the finds at Qumran reflect this. Now, most of the differences from the Standard Bible are very minor, but it's still very significant from a historical point of view. Aside from these standard books from the Hebrew Bible, the scrolls also included what is known as Apocrypha and Pseudepigrapha. In other words, books that are not included in most versions of the biblical canon. 
The Apocrypha include books that are only part of the Catholic Old Testament, but not the Hebrew Tanakh or the Protestant Bible, such as the Book of Tobit. Secondly, the Pseudepigrapha include books that are not part of any Bible, basically. It is here that we find texts like the famous and incredibly fascinating books of Enoch and the Book of Jubilees. Then there are works that are often deemed sectarian works, in other words, texts that were written by and for a specific community, in this case probably the community living in Qumran, and which gives us details about their beliefs and practices. These include texts like the so-called Community Rule, the Damascus Documents, and the so-called War Scroll. And then there are a bunch of commentaries on and shorter summaries of biblical books as well. So as you can see, the Qumran scrolls include a lot of different books and different kinds of books. Many of these are the biblical books that we all know and love, but others are unfamiliar to most. The books of Enoch, for example, has become famous for their strange stories about the Watchers, and this would require a whole separate episode to cover properly. Nonetheless, these Qumran or Dead Sea Scrolls are probably the most significant archaeological discovery of the 20th century that has revolutionized our understanding of Second Temple Judaism and the New Testament period in, in this region of the world. But who were the people that wrote them, or who owned them and presumably hid them in these caves? As we said, the caves in which the scrolls were found were all located around a place called Qumran, today an archaeological site that seems to have been the settlement of a peculiar community. A community of Jews who lived rather strict lives dedicated to the observance of Jewish law. We know of this Qumran community both from the actual site at Qumran, but also in texts like the Community Rule and the War Scroll that seem to detail the way that they lived and some of what they believed. The Qumran community and the larger sect that they belonged to seem to have broken off from the other groups of Jews that were centered around the temple in Jerusalem. They believed that the temple had been taken over by false priests and rejected the temple cult in Jerusalem, instead choosing to gather in places of their own where they could follow their strict interpretation of the law. In the words of the archaeologist Jody Magnus, quote, Qumran was occupied by members of a wider movement that separated from the rest of the Jews in Judea around the middle of the 2nd century BCE or earlier over differences in the interpretation and practice of Jewish law. In general, this sect was stricter in its interpretation of Jewish law than other Jews. It seems like they believed that the cults in the Jerusalem temple were performed incorrectly and that the law wasn't followed properly, so they instead formed a strongly hierarchical community of their own, centered on priests of the Zadokite lineage which had led the temple practices in Jerusalem previously. Membership was limited to adult males who were deemed worthy and the initiation process seemed to have been long, taking years. Our sources also suggest that once one became a member, you had to give up at least a portion of your possessions to the community as a whole. As we saw, the Qumran community seems to be only one settlement of a larger movement or community across Judea. Archaeology suggests that there were probably around 150 to 200 people living in the settlement at any given time. And from texts like the community rule, it also seems like this might have been an especially strict environment. Members of the wider community could be married and have kids, but the group in Qumran in particular appeared to have lived a life of celibacy. Their lives were governed by a very strict code of conduct, being very meticulous to follow every aspect of the Jewish law and harsh punishments for those who didn't. 
Members could be excommunicated for failing to follow the rules properly or be punished for what we would consider very minor things. For example, the Damascus document states that if a person accidentally fell asleep during a communal meeting, they would be expelled for 30 days and had to do penance for 10 days on top of that. One of the more central aspects of their daily lives included communal meals as well as a very strong emphasis on ritual purity. Indeed, the archaeological site at Qumran contains several so-called mikvahs, or baths, where the members would purify themselves on a regular basis. This emphasis on ritual purity seems to have been especially important to the Qumran community, not only based on the existence of these mikvot baths, but also on their beliefs and their view of themselves based on these texts. Indeed, the community appears to have seen itself as a kind of substitute for the temple in Jerusalem. Again, in the words of Jody Magnus, quote, In other words, the sectarians conducted their lives as if the community was a virtual temple or tabernacle. For this reason, they observed the same strict regulations governing purity, including immersion and purity of food, drink and dishes, as those required for the temple cult. Instead of the daily sacrifices in the Temple of Jerusalem, the Qumran community replaced this with two daily prayers that everyone performed, even though sacrifices also seemed to have taken place. The community was the temple, a replacement of the now defunct temple until the future redemption when Jerusalem would be ruled by the true priests again. We thus find a community that thought very highly of themselves. They were the real Israel and the only ones who were following the law properly. The end times were very close, as indicated from the sectarian scrolls, and they were at the verge of a new messianic era in which they represented the sons of light and all others were the so-called sons of darkness. These forces would engage in a 40-year war in which the sons of light would eventually win, drive out the Romans and re-establish true worship in the Jerusalem temple. The war also had cosmic significance in which the earthly war was mirrored in a cosmic war between the forces of good and evil, represented by angels and the demonic forces of Satan. In other words, the Qumran community definitely belonged to the wider movement of antiquity known as Jewish apocalypticism, which we mentioned earlier. All these ideas are found in the sectarian scrolls found in the caves surrounding the Qumran site, which explains the origins, current practices, and future predictions that they had of themselves. In terms of practices, they, as we have said, followed the laws of the Torah with an unusual strictness, as well as emphasized rituals of purity in the mikvah baths and communal dining. Another thing that made the Qumran community stand out is the fact that they used a solar calendar rather than the moon calendar of the other Jews. This meant that the different sacred days of the year would fall on different dates than for the rest of the Jews, which, for those members of the sect who lived in larger villages and towns, would probably create some tensions with their neighbors. This was also a very hierarchical community. The priests ruled supreme and had full power. The group had a highest authority called the Mebakr, the guardian, also called the master, who presided over the community, taught them how to conform to the law, and in general, supervised the whole sect. As for the origins of the sect, we have only a few hints. In the Damascus document, we find reference to the founder of the sect as someone called the teacher of righteousness, a person who had a proper understanding of the Torah and could guide the community to counter all the things that the Jerusalem Israelites had misunderstood or done wrong. 
This person's actual identity from a historical perspective isn't known since he is hidden behind this nickname. And there are other such anonymous figures mentioned in the scrolls that appear important, such as the so-called wicked priest, the sprouter of lies, and the kittim. With the exception of the last term, kittim, which most scholars agree probably refers to the Romans, there is no consensus on who all of these figures are. The wicked priest and spouter of lies probably refers to some figures associated with the Jerusalem clergy, possibly Jonathan Maccabeus, a key figure of the Maccabean revolt and a leader of the Hasmonean dynasty that ruled Judea, but scholars disagree on these questions. It seems relatively clear that they at least represent the enemies of the Essenes, namely the other sects of Judaism at the time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. As for the so-called teacher of righteousness, there have been many theories of all kinds. He has been identified sometimes with John the Baptist, with Jesus himself, James the Just, and much more. All of these theories are generally rejected by scholars today, though. The only indication we have is that the term righteousness, zedek in Hebrew, seems to refer to the Zadokite lineage of priests who lost monopoly over the temple after the Maccabean revolt. It is thus possible that the community that the Qumran group belonged to was founded by priests of the Zadokite lineage who considered the new clergy in Jerusalem to be illegitimate. And this kind of leads us to the million-dollar question, were the Qumran community Essenes? Many scholars, probably the majority of scholars and historians today, argue that they indeed were. You may have noticed that the descriptions of the Essenes in the ancient writers, like Josephus and Philo, is very similar to the ideas and practices of the Qumran community. A very strict adherence to the law, an emphasis on ritual purity, communal meals, selective celibacy, and much else. There's so much fascinating stuff when it comes to the beliefs of the Qumran community, so I've actually turned to an expert who's going to tell you even more about a particular aspect of their theology, namely Dr. Andrew Henry from the channel Religion for Breakfast. Thanks, Philip. Another reason why many scholars believe that the Qumran community and the Essenes are one and the same is because of fate. What do I mean by that? In a passage comparing the Sadducees, Pharisees, and Essenes, Josephus says that the Essenes were somewhat skeptical of free will. He says the Essenes declare that fate is the mistress of all things, and that nothing befalls people unless it is in accordance with her decree. By comparison, the Sadducees completely reject fate and emphasize that humans have free will, and the Pharisees take a middle position. We can call the Essene theological position on fate a strong sense of predeterminism. My Dead Sea Scrolls professor in graduate school, Jonathan Klawans, even joked that the Essenes were the Calvinists of Second Temple Judaism, holding to the theological position of predestination. In other words, the Essenes believed in God's absolute foreknowledge of and control over future events, and lead toward the denial of free choice. Possible parallels for this strong predeterminism have been found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. For example, in the sectarian document called the Community Rule, we find what Dr. Klawans calls the clearest articulation of predestination in all of ancient Jewish literature. From the God of knowledge comes all that is and shall be. Before ever they existed, he established their whole design. And when, as ordained for them, they came into being, it is in accordance with his glorious design that they accomplish their task without change. 
The text goes on to say that God has ordained the righteous to walk in the ways of the light and the evil to walk in the ways of darkness. This is predestination, so this may be more evidence that the Qumran community was an Essene community, but not all scholars agree. Josephus seems to be describing an idea of fate influenced by Greek philosophy. He doesn't seem to know about the Qumran idea of predestination, that is more dualistic, but the similarities remain and can't be ignored. Back to you, Philip. Thank you, Andrew, and please everyone check out his amazing work over at Religion for Breakfast. Philo suggested that there were around 4,000 Essenes living in Judea and that they were spread out into different communities. It seems to many that Qumran was one such community. Furthermore, one of the most suggestive pieces of evidence comes from that third source on the Essenes, Pliny the Elder. He writes, quote, They, the Essenes, are a people unique of its kind and admirable beyond all others in the whole world, without women and renouncing love entirely, without money and having company only the palm trees. Below the Essenes was the town of Engedi, which yielded only to Jerusalem in fertility and palm groves, but has today become another ash heap. From there, one comes to the fortress of Masada. Pliny here seems to geographically place an Essene settlement north of Masada and Engedi along the Dead Sea, which is exactly where we find Qumran. These points have led many scholars to conclude that the Qumran community indeed represents a group of Essenes. It should be pointed out though that there is no consensus on this matter. Many scholars are still skeptical of this connection due to lack of any clear evidence, right? So the discussion is still ongoing. The scholars will disagree, but I would say that most scholars today accept this connection between the Qumran community and the Essenes. In any case, if we accept this connection, this indeed seems to indicate that it was the Essenes that wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, or at the very least that these scrolls belonged to that community. Much of what we know about the Essenes thus seem to be confirmed. They were a unique sect of Judaism separated from groups like the Pharisees and Sadducees who lived around Judea and gathered in communities like Qumran, led by a priestly class and guardians who had absolute authority. They saw themselves as a kind of placeholder temple since the one in Jerusalem had been corrupted and followed a very strict observance of the law as well as practices of communal dining and purification baths. The Essenes also clearly were influenced by the apocalyptic Jewish literature and held strong beliefs that the end of days was approaching, that the dead would be resurrected and that there would be a judgment from God, a judgment where they believed that they, the so-called sons of light, were the only winners. While they appear to have played a major role in ancient Judea, it seems that shortly after writers like Josephus mentions them, the Essenes no longer existed in any major capacity. The Great War with the Romans in 68 AD, in which Jerusalem and the Temple would eventually be destroyed in the year 70, would have almost cataclysmic effects on the larger Jewish community. It seems that groups like the Sadducees and Essenes, including this group in Qumran, did not survive this war and basically died out as a result. Many speculate that it was because of the approaching Roman armies that the Qumran community hid all their scrolls in the caves surrounding the site. And indeed, the text from the Qumran scrolls includes some of the most famous examples of the so-called apocalyptic literature. The books of Enoch are an incredibly interesting case, which seemed to have been important to the Essenes, but which did not make it into the later biblical canon. The only exception is the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, whose Bible includes the book of Enoch. 
Andrew over on Religion for Breakfast has already made amazing videos about both first and second Enoch. So if you're interested in that topic, you should definitely go check out his videos on that. The Dead Sea Scrolls in general can also be found in various translations if you're interested in reading that. I highly recommend it, of course, if you're interested in this topic. They are fascinating texts uh, and it's a fascinating topic to just dive into. Thanks again to Andrew. If any of you haven't checked out his channel, Religion for Breakfast, then what are you even doing? You should go over there right now and subscribe and check out his content. It's some of the best religious studies content that you can find anywhere. It's really, really amazing. And it was an honor to have him on. And now you hopefully have a better grasp of the context in which these texts were written and, and read by this community. Um, they are especially connected with this community in Qumran, a settlement near the Dead Sea, which by many scholars, perhaps most scholars today, are identified as a group of so-called Essenes. Reading them therefore gives us invaluable information about what appears to have been a major movement of Judaism in Judea at this time, and also gives us incredibly valuable information about Second Temple Judaism and the region of Judea and Israel right at the time of the New Testament. With all this in mind, I think very few would deny that the Dead Sea Scrolls are one of the most significant archaeological discoveries of the 20th century, if not of all time. I'll see you next time. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.